concept. Manny, you can't interrupt me now, okay? <laughs> As we start recording. <laughs> Welcome to uh, Live from America podcast. Uh, this is Hatem along with Noam Doman, the owner of the legendary comedy seller. Legendary defunct comedy seller. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's a legend. Uh, and uh, amazing guest tonight. Uh, my very good friend and Emmy Award winner, Mr. Kurt Metzger. Woo-woo! Hey, buddy. Uh, and the host of uh, his uh, hit podcast, Can Get Right. I mean, hit's a bit strong of a word, but... <laughs> well, you know... It's a you podcast. Know, you know how it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and our guest of honor is Mr. David Korn. He's a journalist, uh, Mother Jones, Washington, D.C., Bureau Chief, uh, MSNBC analyst, an author of the New York Times number one best-selling book, Russian Roulette. Welcome to the show, sir. Glad I'm, I haven't won an Emmy yet, but uh, I'm still trying. Well, it, it doesn't I, I technically didn't look, either. Look how <laughs> what happened to Kurt down the hell from there. But uh, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, the Emmy curse they call it. Thank God you got canceled after your Emmy, Kurt. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, I really should set the tip wingtips broke off of the uh, when I moved to LA. <laughs> I put it in the box and everything. The Peabody is a much sturdier award. That sounds like the beginning of a Warren Zevon song. The wing tips broke off when I moved to L.A. That's very good. I would listen to any song that began that way. Yeah. I lost the wing tips when I moved to L.A. <laughs> I, I, I will name drop one time. I never do, but only because uh, right before uh, David Korn, something about Steve Earle, talking about Emmy. When I was in Ohio, I, I had the pleasure of, of being invited to Dave Chappelle's house. And he had his awards just everywhere. Like they're yeah. not displayed, they're just like lying around as a Grammy on the bar and an Emmy. It, 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 like, yeah, no respect that's how I do mine. Yeah, anyway. I have it next to a Tommy Wiseau bobblehead. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. And, uh, and I will say this just because it's interesting and, and you, I know you guys will be interested in what's we'll up about politics. His home, is the most warm, humble, not rich guy's home you'd ever, I mean, it's so, it was so inviting and cozy and just like a, a, a regular family's, you know, not poor family, a regular, fairly well-to-do family's house. <laughs> but but not, there would, if you walked in there, you would not, it would not be distinguishable from any, you know, Ardsley home. Is there a from, gate? There is a gate, <laughs> but he has to have a gate. But, yeah, but there's nothing fancy. There's nothing. There's just it's a it was like it, I was. It was very. I've seen you know other rich people's houses and been and found them very sterile and. Obviously you know, surprisingly, no. If you come to my place, you'll have the same feeling. It's just like <laughs> very warm. Yeah, is there a juicer? Fancy. A juicer. That's what I want to do. <laughs> a reflection of his personality, you know. So I thought that was nice. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. So, yeah, with the election in like a few days, I think the thing I'm going to mess the more about Trump, hopefully if he loses, is we never can prepare for a podcast because you never know what he's going to say that day. It's, just, <laughs> right. it's always it's always just go. If we can't have a topic like in the beginning, remember, normally we try to have a topic for each like before the podcast. And it's like he does something that day. So it's just like it's it's insane. It's like but, today we're going to talk about housing policy, right? <laughs> you're, you're eager to do but maybe the Fed, something, you know, but, you know, I, I he he has changed the the media you know, information, political, even the entertainment ecosystem in, in a way. And that he, you know, he, he's 
not just always doing something or saying something outrageous or outrageously false. He does it 25 times a day. So even at the beginning of the day, you know, let's talk about Trump doing this. By the time you're, you're, you're recording, you know, there's been five more news cycles where he has claimed that UFOs are landing and giving Hillary Clinton instructions on how to take the election over. And then you get all right and then a couple hours later it's like i saved 10 million people from dying in COVID. <laughs> and so it's, it, he's the tasmanian devil it's insane um, that's the literal best know. way to handle yeah. the fucking media here's the media loses their shit about i've already been through it the media loses their shit about nothing i mean nothing i mean it's not they lose it. i i shouldn't say that they i don't believe they give a shit but all the nonsense things that, I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin listing them all of just right, people who aren't Trump, who said something that's not even a little controversial that's been blown up into something. That's literally the only way you can deal with the media is to just blast nonsense at them. But, that, that, the good, the but, but it's, different when you're, it's different when you're president. It's different when you're in charge of preventing millions of people from dying or when you're in charge of nuclear weapons. What happens in you yes, know, the, I agree. cancel culture or in the, you know, the, the general overarching world is a lot different than what it used to be. I, look, I should be saying that shit that I saved 10 million people from COVID as a comedian, <laughs> but the fucking media cracked down. I don't know why comedy, by the way, is such a focus of media horse shit, but now you get a clown in the White House. That's what you get when you crack down on the fucking clowns, which here's a good example. Chappelle that Noam brought up that amazing special he did, Sticks and Stones, Look at the critic review and look at the people review. And literally every media hack was like, I can't believe he said, and no specifics. They never are specific of what he said wrong. It's just that it's overall bad. And people want someone to say crazy shit. So if I can't do it, you're going to get stuck with this fucking clown. That's just how, I, like, do people think we're just going to do away with <laughs> people so, saying what they David, want? David, let me tell you, Kurt believes that Trump, I, be I believe that Kurt believes that Trump is going to win, which I think is crazy, but. Just so you know, that's where he's coming from. I do, because I'll tell you why. The coveted uh, demographic of that I belong to with some college <laughs> is not, uh, <laughs> not going to vote. Like, I'm just not voting. I can't bring myself to vote for Trump, but I'd never fucking vote for a Democrat ever again. And, and fucking uh, the, the, uh, the people who are motivated are the people making, you know, there's a lot of motivated uh, uh, people that probably never voted before who don't give a shit. Like... I'm sure you'll have a lot of good points of something bad about Trump. They don't care about none of that. They know that they're being, uh, it's, it's almost like the, the silenced majority. People that like, they didn't really want to be silent, but they're not allowed to talk. So, I mean, like, I think stupid things like comedy or like the way they fuck up the movies people like. I mean, it sounds like petty shit, but that's the bread and circuses. And you, they, they fuck that up. There's, the circus sucks and you, you're not allowed to eat bread. And people that never care, I know a bunch of people that never cared about politics that will go out and vote for Trump out of anger. I, I don't know why Democrats are going for the anger vote. I, I don't, you know, I, you know I, I disagree with you on some things there. Well, let, me, let me find common ground. Okay, let's start with the common ground. I believe that indeed in 2016, there were sort of like, I don't give a fuck people. I, you know, I, 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 I don't want to be accused of being politically incorrect and you know i don't like the way the media treats me or other people or all that stuff who um you know basically went with trump even even those who thought he was a clown and ignorant and who even thought he was a bit of a con man i don't know how you look at i mean i grew up in new york my uncle worked for trump i don't know yeah, how you, he's how queen's you look money at trump 
and not see him as a comment. But I do believe that people were angry and, and some of them voted their anger and their resentments. Some of those resentments are more dark, are darker than others and less justified. Some I think are racially bent, but not all of them. Um, but I, so I do think there was a lot of that in 2016. I think a lot of that was done with, I'll take a flyer on this guy. And now in 2020, we see what that has led to. This is a guy who's incredibly incompetent, incapable of dealing with you know basic facts that actually have tremendous consequences. 250,000 Americans are dead. A lot of other, you know, a lot of other injuries been done to the nation. And I so I think that you know there are still people who feel the way they felt in 2016, but there's no more of them. They didn't grow greater numbers, and some of them have either died because of the aging demographics or they just decided that that was not the right way to vote. And they yeah, I don't, I don't think it's uh, it's like people, well, I'm, there's, I think there's slightly more, uh, uh, mo like, not that there's a larger number than there was in 2016, but I think there's more of them than there is really motivated Democrats. And I think they fucking, uh, with Bernie, like, you know, they got the Greens knocked off the ballot, I think out here. And uh, the, the DNC is so bad that, all, there's like a little civil war going on there. Like th those people aren't just going to go vote for Biden because they took the the opportunity away to vote for the person they wanted. Like you don't think no, that's going to be. But but I but I still think the the the, the numbers are if, you know if you start with the macro numbers, more people voted against Trump than for him in 2016 by a large number. He happened to do better in the states, you know, in the swing states, so he won the presidency. So since that time. His people are older. He's lost more voters than the non-Trump voters. And I think his behavior has done nothing to draw out new fans. He had, you know, it, this is an old show. It's, it's, you know, the fourth season of a bad sitcom, you know, doesn't get a bigger audience. He's done nothing. He really has done nothing, which is what I find remarkable. He's done nothing, you know, in this year or any time, really, to reach out to people who weren't already with him. He really seems to think that if he has 30 to 40 percent, he can get them all out and that will be enough to win. You know, he David, I wonder, I wonder, in, in, I wonder what you think. Of, yeah, he threaded the needle in 2016 with that strategy. It's not usually a winning strategy. And this time around, having alienated even some of his own voters, I don't I don't understand it. I mean, he, he he's done, you know, he's, he's killed Americans and he hasn't even you know reached out to, to the to a morning and, and a troubled country. So, uh, I mean, right now, the macro numbers really, really suck for him. You don't even have to look at the polls to know that. So let me let me let me add. I mean, I'm happy that I'm uh, agreeing with David um, because um, two things come to mind by analogy. Um, one is that I remember in college learning about immigration. I remember the professor saying that, you know, that there's a word for it. I don't remember the word that in any wave of immigration, a certain percentage always go back. And I just always stuck in my head. And then there's also the concept of regression to the mean. So you have Trump who won by 70,000 votes, meaning 35,000, really 35,000 and one had voted the other way. He would have lost. And, and a big chunk of these were people who had voted Democratic. They were Obama voters and, and they flipped. And I don't see how he didn't lose a big chunk of those, a lot of those people are, are going to revert to the mean or they're immigrants who are going to go back to where they came from. They they gave it a shot on Trump and he, he didn't deliver and they're going to go back to their old pattern. 
I, and I certainly he hasn't gained any votes and I can't believe he hasn't lost 70,000 votes in those few swing states, in those contested areas. I think he has to lose. And you're right, he, has, he hasn't done anything. He didn't even do infrastructure. He didn't reach out to black people. God provided him a pandemic on a silver platter. Every other leader in the world saw their approval ratings go up, no matter what they did, except Trump, right? He's the only one who managed to take a pandemic and find a way to have it divide a country. It's like it's like if, if President Bush could have used 9-11 to divide the country. It's astounding, right? He's just, mm -hmm. and incompetent is the word. I mean, no matter well, how you look at it, he can't I win. don't think it's incompetent. I think it's actually pathology. Okay. I, mean, I mean, how can you be, how can you be in charge of a nation? And every scientific expert comes up to you and says, you know what, if you just tell people to wear masks and socially distance, and you know, we can lock this down for a couple of months, and we can save tens, if not hundreds of thousands of lives, and you will have your economy back in time for the fall election. You'll be, you know, you'll, you'll be out of this by that point in time. How do you look at that and say, I know better I'm going to lie my way through this. It's not. It's not a problem. I don't agree with you on that. I don't. Agree I mean, I don't, I, I don't understand. And not show an ounce, never an ounce of empathy. Has That's he even? Has he yeah. even said anything about Melania the past ten days? Wow. He's, he's crossing his fingers. I know. <laughs> you know she, she, it seems like she lost. Right? She lost the bet here. David, you know? David, isn't isn't that the the war, the job of the governors though? Well, the, the it, no. This is truly of federal state partnership. This is the definition of it. The, you know, the governors deal with their individual states, but this is a pandemic that crosses state borders. Look what's happening now in Arizona and Florida. There's this great uh, GIF going around, GIF going around of showing all the states since June 1st and who have the highest rates. It's all red states, except California is at the very bottom of, of this list of the top 25. And so, yeah, yeah the governors have governors are the frontline workers. But they need to have a national plan. We should have had a national testing and contact tracing plan like South Korea did, okay. um, like Germany did. There are so many things that he decided he wasn't going to do. And he's yeah. basically given up since then. Yeah, I don't so, think it actually is based on his actual performance because, for instance, Cuomo did a terrible job in New York. And, um, and, no, and we still love him, you know, because his bedside manner is so good. I mean, I was screaming, why aren't you shutting things down? I mean, I could, I could go on and on about the things that in real time, the emails that I wrote about what Cuomo was doing wrong. But it, it, whatever, at least he presents a, 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 an empathetic, decent face. And you almost forgive him the mistakes because you feel like, you know what? His heart's in the right place. And now like he was trying. He's trying. Yeah. He, was he looks trying. like he's trying. Yeah. I mean, Listen, I, I hope he made some big right. mistakes. I got to say, like, and 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 now, and and the worst thing about Cuomo is, to if you speak to people, is why won't he just admit he made a mistake in the nursing home? People are not mad about it, nursing home; they'll forgive him for it. But it yeah. really sticks in people's craw that he that he pretends he didn't make a mistake. Now, Trump right. is that same phenomenon, but in, in, there's nothing redeeming about the way he handled. Listen, Trump yeah. couldn't couldn't survive it in a normal. Uh, if it wasn't like a completely rat fucked government, he he wouldn't be able to survive. The the Democrats suck. I, I don't know. Like, I I was for Obama twice to the point where I'd argue with no. And by the way, I fucking regret that. The the fiery but peaceful protests are going like all that shit that gets dismissed by the regular media is going to bite them in the ass. That's what I predict. Which I hope you guys are are right because I I don't want everything to fucking burn down if Trump wins again. 
But uh, there's like a hate vote. And I, I just can't imagine like like Biden. That's the guy. That's the guy that, that they pick to go to, to for this existential threat. That's what we're coming with is fucking Biden. And then Kamala fucking. I mean, is everybody crazy? You got to no. hope everybody hates <laughs> Trump so much. Let him ask. Let him no, I, no. I, I, listen, I'm not here to defend the Democrats or defend Biden, but I think given the choice, it's pretty fucking obvious. You don't want the world to burn down. You're a fucking adult. You don't, you know, you know, my, oh, kids, burn the house my, down my, with my, my kids say, uh, you know, voting for Biden. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't, he's old and he's, he's no good. And he doesn't inspire me. I said, what, you know, how many years, how many years I had to wait to vote for someone who I felt good about? You think I felt good voting for Walter Mondale or Jimmy? I didn't vote for Jimmy Carter, but you know, I didn't like <laughs> Bill Clinton when he ran. I didn't like, I was, and Al Gore didn't inspire me. I voted for people because this is the choice you get in a large fucking country where things actually revert, you know, to the mean, as Young puts it, which often means, you know, the average. And you get someone who has, you know, the average corporation. Hated. What do you mean? <laughs> is less hated. And it's a, you get a like, fucking oligarchy. I mean, it's no, it's. Yeah, but this is the choice you have. Yeah, this is your choice is between if you're if you're living in an oligarchy, your choice is between one oligarch who doesn't fucking care if you die and who wants to burn down the planet and all he cares is about himself and kleptocracy, and another guy who comes along and says. You know, I'd like to cure cancer. I'd like to spend some money on that. I think we can, we can, we can, we can, we can deal better with the pandemic. And I care about climate change to a certain extent. And you know, to me, that's a black and white choice. It's not the choice I would create, but given that choice, I don't see how you know you look at that and say, well, it doesn't fucking matter what I do. I'm just not voting. That's my, that's given the choice. I, that that rig system that put that idiot as the guy against Trump. Why would I? I like I can't even. I, I don't even understand how they think people are supposed to be fucking excited or it, it was purely picked by some fucking co- whatever, whoever the he donors are. By, he was picked by Democratic voters. You know, you can you know you can complain about that. He wasn't picked by a party establishment. The voters could have voted for Bernie. They could have voted for Buttigieg. They could have voted for Elizabeth Warren. They could have voted for Kamala as president and Amy Klobuchar. Anybody. They could have voted for fucking Tom Steyer. Well, I mean, I, I could I could give you my analysis of it. I think you're going to agree with me. You know, I mean, look, if you were to... Um, a lot of Democratic voters, Hillary voters, are really holding their nose um, and finding common cause with the woke left. They don't like the woke left, but when Trump is there, they are not ready to take a, you know, that strong a stand against it. And Biden represents a return to the normalcy of the Democratic Party that they were comfortable with. Sure. And that's why no matter who they threw at them, I mean, Biden, Biden barely got a, a coherent sentence out as he was campaigning. He was simply chosen because people say, listen, I don't want to vote for one of those ultra left wing types. I, B- Biden is palatable to me and I just want a return to a calm, normal time. And, right, and that's, that's it. I feel that way too. Like, there's, I don't but, like Biden. I don't think there's enough people that are, you had to have not got, felt like well, you got- Again, punched. you, you, start, with, you start with that fine edge that Trump won by, and you just say, well, what do you think, what do you think those people are thinking today? Do you think he's grown his lead or his lead is contracted? I think it's contracted. The polls, also, I don't know why people are so comfortable thinking the polls are just wrong. They might be because they were in the other election. No, 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 no. Actually, the polls last time were pretty close. That's right. They had, they had Hillary winning 
by two or three points in the national polls, and she did. And they were fucked up in a few, you know, they were all close in the swing states, but, you know, they, they all, you know, what happened was within the margin of error because it was right. so tight. Now you're looking at, you know, Wisconsin, and like the latest poll out of Wisconsin that people respect has Biden up by 10. And so you're thinking, what? I mean, for that, you know, that's far above the margin of error, which is usually three to four points. So the poll would have to be, you know, really, really incredibly wrong to have Trump surpassing them. That can change in three weeks. That's, you know, today. That's what it means today. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I, I think, you know, Noam, you know, you, what you're talking, what you're describing is what's known as the popular front. When there is an enemy that is, you know, severe enough, you know, the other side locks arms and says, you know, put aside our fights for now, which are healthy and good, and they happen, you know, and they, and they move forward. The, the Republicans did this with Trump. They called him a fucking cancer. They said, Lindsey Graham, he will destroy the party. Rick Perry, he is a cancer on the Republican Party. Ted Cruz. Well, don't say what's good about him. And then they all lock him. arms because they, 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 <laughs> they pretend that Hillary Clinton is the biggest threat that pulls them together. And if you look at what happened, you know, I just read this great book. Do I have it here? Yeah, I can actually promote it. Uh, the Death of Democracy by Benjamin Cordahet, who's oh. at Hunter College up in your fine city of New York. And it's really about how Hitler came to power. It ends in 1933. It starts in the early 20s. And what really happened was, uh, you know, a lot of the folks, you know, in the middle and the middle right and the, and the, and the left could not join together. You know, they all were screaming and fighting with each other. And Hitler, who had a minority position, was able to take advantage of that. So, you know, you know, to Kurt's point, yeah, you know, you don't like Biden, fuck, you know, I, I'm not gonna say you should like Biden, but if you see Trump as a threat, people are putting aside their differences, which in, in some ways is what we wanna see in a democracy. Find the common ground you can find for as long as you can, about as much as you can. And then, you know, <laughs> then you fight it out over other things. I, I just wanna add something to, to, to Kurt's point, uh, cause I kind of agree with him. Uh, you know, the Democrat are going to, you know. I agree with David, by the way. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I know. That's for the record. We're keeping this episode for the record. <laughs> <laughs> so so the Democrats are going to vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is. And the Republicans are so. The, the, the undecided voters, when you give them Biden, they'll be like, they can't take us seriously. You know, this is this is what we deserve. Like people love Trump from his side. Nobody loves Biden. They just hate. Well, that's Trump. not actually true. I don't I mean, think there are people that love Trump that even that much. By the way, I think oh, it's I, every some every friend of mine, his parents love Trump. <laughs> well, they know? hate. They hate the woke. I mean, I listen. I hate the fucking. I was always a liberal, and all of a sudden, I'm in. I, I must be like alt right now. I don't know how that fucking happened, but the but, the wokeness has to go. Like, I don't get the threat of oh, Trump's a threat. No, it's not that woke bullshit. Because these corporations that control well, let, let me ask you something. Hatem, Hatem, when you say your friend's parents, are these Arabic people? No. <laughs> <laughs> Even after he declared Jerusalem the capital of Israel? No, because you, you've expressed to me that you, you know Arabic people who support Trump. I, I'm, I, I mean, 90 I think you'd be shocked of, at the immigrants. 90% too. of Arabic people uh, after Trump, they like Trump. They you know, like Trump. That's, yeah. And if why? You're talking to nationally, you're like right now, the Middle East is going crazy with the Hillary emails and they're loving Trump, you know, because it shows how the Arabic Spring was all kind of like chaos uh, with Obama, which we know already. But uh, no, American friends that their parents love. But my point is, you don't find anybody have like Biden's picture behind them. 
No one loves him like that. But yeah. Trump is like, is you know, for his people, he's a hero. Well, no, no one loved George H.W. Bush or George W. Bush like that either. I mean, usually you end up with a nominee who is somewhat of a compromise candidate who appeals to a couple of different aspects of the party. And, you know, people fell in love with Obama. People did not fall in love with McCain or Romney. They felt, you know, the, the Trumpers fell in love with Trump. In fact, some of them are so in love with him that they're appearing at these rallies that are like, you know, Jonestown. It's like they're drinking Kool-Aid, you know, like spit on me, Mr. President. Come kiss me. Come on. Right here, baby. Right. Planet. You know, and so they love him so much. They're willing right. to put their own health and safety at risk. But that, you know, that that's happened with some candidates, but it usually doesn't happen with most. Exactly. That's exactly my point. People with Trump okay. are so motivated. And it's not only the older, older people. It's also the younger, younger people, the new, the new voters. They like the kids. Hot Let's, yeah. let's, let's move on from the, the election. I, I think you got to go with the, the empirical evidence first. And if, and if you don't have a good argument, a gut feeling that the empirical evidence wrong, you know, it only gets you so far. We're talking November um, 3rd. Uh, but well, listen, I was right last time. Let's hope I'm wrong. Me too. I was. And I, okay. I want to be wrong. Everybody um, gave me a pat on the head like, no, it can't happen. It's pro wrestling. Right, being right in a binary choice is yes, not get you too. You know, kayfabe, you know kayfabe is? So yeah. here's how I knew he was going to win last time, because they tried to do baby face versus heel and f make fucking Hillary Clinton a baby face. The appeal of Hillary Clinton was always that, well, conservatives don't like her. That's why I like that's a heel appeal. Then they try to go, oh, she's a baby face now. And Trump heels like Trump was like the rock. And <laughs> do you remember the rock when the rock came out and he was a nice guy? and Everybody was like, they're spitting on him in the, from the crowd. And then we started telling him to shut up and like, it doesn't matter what you're they're like. Yay. So Trump's still doing that. David and I were busy reading books while you were watching wrestling, but I've heard of what you're, I, I you know. What you're we're reading Steve. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> I, 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 I want to ask a question, David. Oh. Since you are, you are, you are, you work at Mother Jones. You're, 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 you're one of the biggest shots in in the liberal world, but you're also of my generation, and I think you probably see eye to eye uh, closer uh, on on what I'm about to say. What are we going to do about the anti-free speech left? What is going to happen with this? It scares the shit out of me. Well, I don't think it's as I don't think it's as big a threat as perhaps you might. You know, I I I do think there is. Tell it to David Shore, who I know. Tell it to me. I fucking <laughs> let him finish. Let him finish. Let him finish. I shouldn't have interrupted. That was no. That was a terrible situation. I, I mean, it, it, it is a real issue. The question is to how how big an issue. Is it how you know how terrible is it, and does do these things burn themselves out a bit? Do they go in a worse direction? Do they get, you know, do people you know there are people who are responding in kind? I mean, I think in in some ways that you know it it's, it kind of gets very meta about having a debate about how to have a debate. Uh, I mean, I'm always on you know the, the throw elbows and argue and scream, you know, portion of of, of these sort of things. Uh, I think there's a bit of a generational shift here uh, that covers some of this, and I think some of it is actually <clears throat> worth worth thinking about. You know, language and how language has been used to you know to, to the detriment of, of, of minority communities, but also think that you know, like a lot of reactions, it can go too far and become too censorious. You know, uh, but here's like you know, I always think about this. Okay, from my perspective. Let's say, let's say Condoleezza Rice. Condoleezza Rice, she's responsible for the death 
partly of hundreds of thousands of Iraqi civilians. Yep. Did nothing wrong. That we went in there, we had a terrible war, it was misguided. I think we, you know, I wrote, I've written books, we lied our way into it, but whether you agree with me or not, they, we had no idea what we were doing. We had no plan once we got there. It was, you know, it, it, it didn't bring democracy to the region. It brought death and destruction to hundreds of thousands of civilians who did, in another country that didn't ask us to do this. Okay, and so I really do believe that she, Ari Fleischer, George W. Bush, all of them, they have blood on their hands. And so when she comes to Stanford or, you know, and wants to like sort of be taken seriously and give a nice little debate and not be interrupted, should she be allowed that? Absolutely. Well, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I think in some ways there's a price to be paid for being wrong. And if people want to stand up and, you know, and protest. You don't really believe that. I you don't do. believe you should yeah. be able to speak, that the mob should be able to say, because Obama, people, they do it for people, anybody. It's not just close to Hatem. People close to Hatem will tell you that they blame Obama for 500,000 dead Syrians. Now, you may disagree with them, but they're ready, they're ready to, 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 to mob him out of uh, the ability to speak. There's no, there's, there's no limiting principle to this. And well, the, I, think, I think you can, I think this is where you and I disagree. I think you can make judgments on, on, on when, you know, people can, you know, protest these things. And when protest not. is fine, but you still have to let somebody have this speak. You have to They're not protesting or deplatforming. And that shit's been going on since well before the term cancel culture. I saw, I watched it start around 2013. That was around the last time I remember you could openly mock this horseshit. And it just got worse. And then when Trump got in, it made it even worse because then the, the upper class twit liberals were like, well, I guess we live under fascism. So they just fucking put, let it, let it get out of hand. And now well, who, who, who had uh, makes, makes millions of dollars. He has a, year. a black wife. He has a black wife. That's how he gets. But, but he says whatever he fucking wants to say. He has a black wife. And it only lasts so Dave long. Chappelle makes millions of dollars. He gets to say what he wants to say. Now he gets he's, shit he's a famous guy with a big audience and they tried to cancel him. Somebody like me could have been, which I did, because I'm only kind of known. Somebody that big, and this is the way they gaslight about cancel bullshit. They go, well, they tried to cancel Dave Chappelle. Yes, he has a huge fan base that knows who he is. So when you lie, not you, but when you lie about him and go, well, he's anti-trans, they go, no, he's not. He didn't say that. If people don't know you that well, so, so if you're already big, Sure, you have a certain, like Ricky Gervais can tell Hollywood people what he fucking thinks of them, but everybody else, the door's closed. And and now with all this shit consolidated, all these like, you know, Disney owns all the fucking imagination now for some reason. Yeah, It's pure. I don't think this is even left. Like, I, I don't even look at it as left. Well, let, right. let me make Kurt's point. So Shane Gillis got, <laughs> Shane Gillis got uh, uh, fired before he began to start on, on his SNL, when he was SNL cast, because they uncovered him making some Asian accents and stuff like that on a podcast right. no different than the stuff Chappelle's doing well it, but, hold on the, the guy that did that see there's low level not they're not I don't know when journalism switched to right. like no, about, I'm saying that's the point because, because he was starting out in the business and he wasn't Dave Chappelle he lost his career Chappelle could have done those same kind of accents in his special and 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 it would be okay Chappelle you know actually he had that's real that. I mean I yeah. you know I don't. We shouldn't deny. You might might want to bet the under on that and say it's not as bad as people are saying it is. But we can't say it's not real until it hits you. It's like when that other guy that uh, Levitsky was on. And he's like, oh, it's not a big deal because it hasn't personally hit him yet, and he's in a fucking bubble. I've just heard like I liked Emily Offy that you had on, but that Harper's letter is like like two years too late and not too little. 
And even that was like a controversy for some fucking reason. Well, if we're getting to the point where they're writing a letter, you already know it's too late. Like it's way past. So Kurt, sure. what should be done? Uh, I don't fucking know. A civil war, which I guess we're going to have probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably no, a nice war. It didn't work out too well the last time. I mean, um, and we, we're still left with, with, with the remnants of that. I mean, I, I, I your point. Which, well, it's you know, a call. Food, I'll tell you. You know I what? I fully agree with. with what? Is you know, as we get greater and greater consolidation in media and entertainment, uh, it does make it harder for unpopular um, voices or give you know uh, corporate voices, which tend to be more cautious. Not always, but tend to be more cautious. You know, far more power over over the rest of us. The one thing that I have to take a little comfort in. And it's a little comfort is that you know, social media, as ugly and messy and stupid as it can be, you know, if you remember what it was like known when we were kids, you know, gives you at least a chance. It doesn't guarantee anything, but at least a chance of circumventing some of, you know, whether it's corporate censorship or other types of censorship, you know, you can get out there and yeah, you're not Dave Chappelle, none of you, no one here is Dave Chappelle, but it gives you a chance of reaching around this a little bit. Which you is could, yes, you could podcast like like Joe Rogan's a good model because uh, I remember when he started that podcast till now, and in fact you see them trying to go at him because he doesn't have the woke flag planted on his shit, so he has to be destroyed. The the thing I I meant to mention with the like SNL like Noam was talking about, uh, uh, Lauren Michaels is a walking Me Too bomb, which a bunch of these people at a lot of these companies are. So well, well, whatever well, you see, well, a company get us in trouble here. Alleged, say something, something. I don't know. Go ahead whatever the second you, all these people are, are afraid for their high up position so that's why it's for the little people to worry to have this nonsense put on them i mean every fucking company has that going so i i would just assume anybody that's like we support me too or blm they're hiding something I, I would just bet on that every single time and so what's to be done is that companies have to fail like you you oh you kind of were saying it you you go around them make your own thing like, like my career was, in, was only over if I want to work for a major production company again. But you can make your own thing. You don't have to go through them. But that's the only thing you can do is, is, is build up your own and also hope that you don't get a massive media smear, such as like, uh, was that so, New York Times had about YouTube, that ridiculous web of, radical, <laughs> of radicalization? Do you remember that? What? Let's let's take the example because you know I, I think it's perfectly valid to 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 measure this the reality of this by what's going on at the New York Times. So Bennett got fired for running an editorial by Tom Cotton that you know one could disagree with, and the workers were saying they, the workers were objecting in in the language of lawsuits, saying I feel unsafe, blah blah blah, and then it was it was, it was all obviously. Bullshit. And, and then people like Ezra Klein, who just rubs me the wrong way. He's a scumbag. That's why. Well, all right. And I will defend Ezra. I don't think he's a scumbag. Yeah, I, I don't like cancel culture proponent. Fuck okay, him. Okay. Well, well, this is what he did that rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not going to call him name. Mm -hmm. um, in the conversation, he took that that, you know, shit filled liquid and he made it into potable water somehow by saying that by pretending the debate was really about well, I mean, you can't have a Nazi editorial, so let's just discuss where the lines should be drawn. And I was screaming, I was saying, no, this was, why are you buying into the big lie? This, these people are not saying anything about where the lines should be drawn. They're flexing their muscles. And now we know it's true because now they're freaking out about 
Brett Stevens' recent editorial about 1619, calling for his head, calling that this shouldn't have been run. They can't, they can't say anything um, other than they, they're just not comfortable with free speech that they disagree with. Now, this is fine if it's a bunch of kids, but when it's the union that represents the New York Times, I think you've seen a shift in, in norms which is quite significant. I mean, it's really significant. We used to say, you know, that's what's the cliche, Voltaire, I defend your right to defend my life, your right to say it. He was saying that from a place of privilege. No, just, come and on. Then, and then, you know, and then, uh, you know, the 16, the, the Times is stealth editing things. And and then um, what's this recent guy is, uh, what is about his tweet? And he said that he got hacked. Uh, what was that recent story? The, like, the guy for the second, the, who's going to be the mediator of the debate. He yeah, said yeah. Was, I mean, yeah. there's just all this, all this nonsense going on. And they're just being swallowed. And, and you just, you're not going to sell me that this isn't something real. This isn't on the fringe. I mean, Bennett got fired. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I know Barry Weiss. She quit because she couldn't take it anymore. Andrew Sullivan got fired. Shore got fired. I mean, the self-censorship, it's, it's not just these well, people. It's not self-censorship. It's, self it's, it's a battle place of ideas. Now, Andrew, you know, uh, has been out there for years on different platforms with the right to talk and say things as much as he wants. And to the degree to which he offends people, people think he's wrong. And they say, hey, we, you know, we disagree with this and we want to, you know, you know, criticize him for this, you know, he's a big boy, he can take that. And if you're New York Magazine, you're, hey, you're a private enterprise, they're a private enterprise, they have the right, as does the New York Times, to create whatever internal culture they want, and to say, we, we want to give this person a voice. Not everybody gets to have a voice. The National Review won't put me on. I can't complain about that. You know, um, Everyone doesn't get well. They didn't suddenly fire you because some fucking woke cultist demanded it. At, at yeah. I mean, it's not like that. I, I think we know. Do you know? Listen. So, so the thing. What I said, self censorship. What I was making. I was kind of making the Shane Gillis point. Is that writers, all uh, uh, writers on a lower level, and we speak to them every day. Don't dare write. They say, "I'd like to write that, but I can't take the chance." Is this mic? The mic's not on, right? I mean, I can't tell you. Basically, every person I know who writes now will tell me something on the side that I have to promise not to repeat that they said. No, comedians do that to, on the podcast. As opposed to years ago when that anti-Semite Pat Buchanan was, had a weekly column in the New York Post while Eric Brendel was the editor of the New York Post, right? Yeah. You know, you, and people accepted that as, yeah, well, you know, this is, this is proper debate. Well, no, um, actually, they got a lot of sh shit from Pat and, and, um, a lot of stories were written about what Pat was an anti-Semite and he had to defend himself and CNN had to make a decision how much to put up with him. And eventually he kind of got bounced from normal. And they got hired by MSNBC. Sullivan got fired. Sullivan got fired not for something he wrote recently. He got fired for this. Uh, it, it bubbled up again that he had excerpted the bell curve in uh, New Republic back then, along with all the people who well, I think it, I don't think it was just what he did 20 years ago I think he was still you know you know talking about that and and and, and, and but the and, New York and, Times had had, had run an editor a doctor writing a like three four years ago or five years ago wrote a I can bring it up an op-ed by a doctor talking about all the recent um 
discoveries about nature and nurture and how intelligence was. I mean, even, I mean, even even this podcast is much more fun when we off air, right? <laughs> you know, I wanted. I I was talking. To, I, I won't say who, but an MSNBC regular, and we we have we have we have these great green room conversations. And I said, you know, we should do a podcast saying that will be titled "You Can't Say That on TV." <laughs> you realize you might not want to say it in a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because they'll go. To I don't. I don't actually think you disagree with me. I I I I know that that you're that that some of these things offend you less because they represent your political leaning. So, so maybe your heart doesn't go out to a Tom Cotton in quite the same way, but I don't want to Tom sell you Cotton. short either. Because Tom I think Cotton was the winner in that. He, yeah. he, well, he got what he wanted. He destroyed the New York Times and he got his fascistic op-ed out. So it was a win-win win for Tom Cotton. Fair enough. I, but, but, but you know what I mean? And I, but I think you are a person of principle. And I, and I do think you can see how this is just spinning. It's just, we, we sh- the social norms should be just suck it up and listen to it. You know what? And if and if it's bullshit, point out the bullshit. That is that is the best way. We all know that's the best way. Or you Everything don't even have to listen. Fraught, you could just not. Fraught with danger, huh? You or you could just not listen, but you don't get to tell the the deplatforming thing is such a a vile fucking trend that I just watch all these craven fucking careerists act like it's. I don't mean David Gore, but all these fucking people act like it's no big deal, and and then it until it hits them. And that was what I said to that guy in Levitsky. I'm like, it's like trying to explain police brutality to, to somebody like, well, the police don't do that. It's, yeah. it's unreal, the, the, the parallel. And, and it kind of reminds me, when I was a kid growing up, when the religious right was like, you know, the Republicans had that, that little, uh, that was like their base was the religious right all the time. And I, I don't know, they, they don't seem like a cultural force to me at all now. This is the Democrat one, is they, they, the identitarian fucking left. I don't even look at them as real leftists, to be honest. Well, they, but, but, they're just but, identity... But you know, look at the Democratic primary that just happened. Who won? The old white guy. And who and who voted for him? Largely African Americans in South Carolina, you know, saved his ass when he was, you know, and gave him a boost, and then other Democrats came along. And if you look at where, you know, you know, the, the you know, the radical wing of the party was Bernie Sanders, right? And he got votes, but he didn't get close to a majority of votes. He got, a lot of, he got a lot of young people who were excited. And you all heard earlier, you were talking about, you know, having a candidate that excites people, but we didn't get enough of them. Well, just that doesn't seem like a uh... party writ large. You got to look at, okay, what, where did they land on? They landed on a very traditional, normal establishment figure who actually believes in polite discourse. He's too gentlemanly in a lot of ways, I would think. And I think he believes erroneously that he can still reach out to Mitch McConnell and they can go out to dinner and work things out. But that's, that's the guy that the Democratic Party embraced, as opposed to the Republican Party, they embraced a guy who is a racist, who does, you know, who is a misogynist, who boasts about committing sexual assault, who violates all these political norms and political correctness, but what he, what he violates is common decency. Calling the, the decency to deny think, his think, sexual assault. That I don't think he. I don't actually think he boasted about sexual assault. I didn't take it that way. But anyway. Oh, you're gonna really win didn't. that fight, Noam. What's that? Well, I love it, to kiss him. Even they don't want me to kiss him, I kiss him, and I can. You know what they do? They can grab him by the pussy too. I hope you never have to defend yourself. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why I didn't take it. I I pictured one of the very famous people who works at the comedy cellar coming down and sitting down at the table back and saying, you know what? Cause this is a price. 
Jesus Christ. When you're famous, the girls let you do anything. You can run right up, grab them by the pussy. They don't care. They let you do everything, whatever right. you want. That's, I say, I wouldn't say you're sexually assaulting women. I would say, I, I, I would understand you're describing that, what is that the word, sybaritic uh, atmosphere. Like, like I, I, I didn't- God, when I hang out at the comedy cellar, that never happens to me. No, but, but it does happen to the megastars. Now, a, very, a, a comedian told me recently that he used to hang out at the, uh, the China Club in the 90s, I guess, with all the most famous people in the world. Yeah. And he told me, this is a black guy, black comedian, famous black comedian, and he said, but when Donald Trump would walk in, all the girls would leave all the big movie stars and walk over to Trump. He, he said Trump had that kind of aura at that time. And Trump- you No, know, I used to walk by the China Club all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, I couldn't get in. So, so that's, walk that's by. what I took. That's China the way I took awful. that. That's why I took that comment as also a guy doesn't brag to another guy about raping somebody. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, that's you. you so you just, whatever. I, I bet that's the under on that non, one too. It's media nonsense. It's disgusting. They don't have to make shit up. He, he sucks. They could beat him by not, if Biden just went, hey, I'm going to make marijuana legal. <laughs> I'm just going to do one fucking thing. It's yeah. edge smash. You'll get nothing and like it, which is what they offer. They they, they offer nothing. Let me uh, let me say two things to David. So one is that I'm going to give you an example of what the media does to Trump all the time, but they just did it to Biden, and I defended him. On you know, I didn't hear. So they were they were pestering Biden about the uh, fact that he won't answer about the court packing question, which of course he should answer, right? But uh, they're pestering about it, and he, and the reporter says, "Don't the people deserve to know about the court?" And Biden says, "They don't deserve to know it." And the headline was Biden says the people don't deserve to know. But obviously a, a human being understands, no, he just regurgitated the most recent word that the reporter used. He wasn't, Biden would actually never get up there and calmly say, you don't have a, you don't deserve to know. He was just, it just came out of his mouth in that, in, in that heat of the moment. And it was, I found it very disingenuous to report it as if Biden believed the people don't deserve to know. And they do this all the time with whoever they can do it. They do it to Trump all the time. He'll repeat the last word somebody said. And they'll, and I'm like, and I always wonder like, do they really believe this or do they know better? Or maybe it's they're just in the wrong profession because it doesn't seem like they're trying to get to the essence of truth. Biden didn't mean people don't deserve it. Anyway, that's number one. Number two. If I see, if I see a uh, a Nazi, a um a Holocaust denier on TV or on, on a podcast. Sorry, talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My instinct would be to call Hatem and say, get that guy on our podcast. I want to debate that guy. He's denying the Holocaust. I want to debate him. And the other possible instinct would be, the other reflex would be, I'm going to write a letter to whoever hosted that thing. I want to make sure that guy never gets on there again. I firmly believe my reflex of wanting to, I firmly believe that my reflex of wanting to get that guy in here and, and debate him is the correct reflex uh, for a successful country. I think the, the reflex to try to find a way to prevent this person from ever seeing the light of day again, has, like I said, has no limiting principle. It will, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Once you put somebody somehow in charge of finding what's over the line, People are going to find it over and over and over. It's like, it's like creating a ratings board. 
once you create the rating R or X, you got to find a movie that fits it. You have to. Once we create a rated X kind of category for public discourse, we got to fill it. Let me be devil's advocate here, man. Yeah. So should NBC or CBS or ABC or anyone else in primetime special put on a guy who says Arab people are inferior? They're just inferior. They're lousy. They're dirty. They're dumb. They're stupid. And we're going to have Tom or somebody on to argue the point because this is the best way to deal with this. You're, you're presuming you, you don't mean the president here. You mean a, a Are you talking about <laughs> CNN contributor Richard Spencer? <laughs> yes, it could be him. It could, you know, but anyway, I mean, you know, you just talked about Holocaust denying, which is the pretty fringe view, right? There's no, you know, maybe I don't know where Trump is on this, but as far as I know, there are no prominent Republicans or conservatives, you know, short of. Of, of of Buchanan, Pat Buchanan, we talked earlier, who actually you know gets close to that. So yeah, I think they so, should. So, but but so I'm saying, if someone has a fringe view as all you know, black people are stupid or inferior. White culture is better. You know, do you put that person on TV and then to to that sounds like something out of network? The movie. Well, I think they like that better than a normal. Pro- I think Dick they Cabot, like the person Dick more. Cabot. I'm sorry, Dick Cavett used to have like Lester Maddox. There's, there's famous footage of in, in the 70s and 80s. Gary um, Springer had Nazis on, but that I don't think that I don't think that helped the debate. He had, no, but Dick, they, no. they, they beat up Gerardo Rivera, your pal. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about Jerry Springer, but but Dick Cavett or David Susskind would have these types of people on and he would and they would expose them or they would debate them. And, and this is interesting even today to go back and, and look at this stuff. I, I don't have any problem with um, a, a, a I don't have any problem with Richard Spencer being interviewed about his anti-Semitism. Um, I don't have any problem with that. I find it interesting. I, 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 I think it's better to find out about it that way than to go to Reddit and, and have it, you know, fed you in an insidious but not, way. But not in a, a prime time. I agree with, with David for sure. Not, not in a prime, prime time doesn't even, prime time is, a, is an expression, but it doesn't even matter in this day and age because everything but, but, you is know, on whatever. demand, right? The other day I'm so, watching TV and Netanyahu's there. It's like, what? What? Who? <laughs> Listen, it's not the extremes now. People who aren't, Rogan's a good example because that fucking vice that used to be a good, used to be good, but again, another Me Too bomb waiting to go off, so now they're woke. They they have a transphobe Joe Rogan. What they do it to people that aren't extremists. What they like we ran out of Nazis or something, so they got to keep finding people that are just not entirely on board with everything, and they have to be just. That's why Barry Wise had to go, because and she was she was on board with all kinds of cancel bullshit. By the way, they fucking hate someone who's reasonable more than a fringe person. That's a bigger threat. So Joe Rogan dared to platform Alex Jones. I don't know what, what that does. It's not like he had Alex Jones on and went, I think everything you're saying is right, Alex Jones. He, he's very good at challenging these people when they're on. They don't want that. They want it utterly suppressed. It's, it's way beyond like whether you have a Nazi on or not. Just regular people. Again, I'm not right wing at all. I'm, I'm liberal. The shit that came down on me from every fucking news organization. I couldn't believe it. All of them. For a week straight. The next time I got a job, the fucking Daily Beast and fucking Vox made an article that said pro-rape comedian gets hired by Sasha Cohen. That's the headline, that I had a job. I mean, couldn't they call me a white supremacist, something less evil than a fucking (laughs) pro-rapist? So I'm not any of those things. The media, this is the one thing I genuinely like about Trump. The media is 
without a doubt my enemy. I mean, I, I don't even know how they act. How could you say that we're the enemy? They're fucking disgusting. And there's only very few that, I don't even agree with them, but I, I trust them a little bit because they're just not part of that fucking insider. Like whoever goes to that, that despicable uh, press dinner, which by the way is why Trump ran because Obama made fun of him at that fucking thing. I was there. I got yeah, that, that's why he ran because some snotty fucking DC and so oh, I don't think you should. And he wanted to show them because he's Queens money. That, that dinner is the grossest thing. It's always they get a comic who they're all offended by. It's the night where all the media and all the politicians like can admit they're all in this together. <laughs> and they fucking, See, I mean, the, I, the insiders are gross. I, I, gotta, I, I, I gotta tell you, you know, the way that you, you know, you know, talk about others mischaracterizing things, you're also engaging yourself in terms of mischaracterizing the media. Now, I'm not here to defend the media. My, my whole, a lot of my whole career has been doing what I do because I take issue with what a lot of conventional media does. But the media, is, it, it's, it's not a conspiracy. It's not an, it's not a, an entity. It, it's, like, it's, it, it's like a plasma. There's just a lot of different parts of it. And there are certainly people who are out there, you know, trying to sell newspapers, or you know, the equivalent thereof. And they're gonna make everything as, as, as sensational and as sharp as, as they can. And they, you know, in, in, in your case, you know, they're gonna, you know, they, they think you got a story, they're gonna, they're gonna hammer it. And, you know, that's not the New York Times doing that. That's not, you know, foreign affairs doing it. Well, New York Times did do that to me. It's, it's, you, know, it's, you know, entertainment media, which in particular seems to be more, you know, worried than, than, than other aspects. The New York Times literally but, did but do to, that to me. But to Noam's point, you know, to, you know, about, you know, quoting Biden there, you know, there, you know, in all media, you know, and in all politics, it's not any different, unfortunately. There is always a strong gotcha element because they think that's what's going to get the eyeballs. You know, and if you don't do it, someone else will do it. And then your editor is going to say, how come you didn't write the story that way? This is how you get the most eyeballs. And, you know, a lot of the people I know in Washington in doing reporting for the major news organizations are by and large responsible and don't want to do a lot of cheap shit. You know, some do it, some but by violence, they don't want to. There is a culture in which you are competing and you got to do things. And I think a lot of what it does, I think in a lot of ways, you know, they haven't been tough enough on Trump. And I think they normalize a lot of his behavior. They don't say the president was batshit crazy today, which an accurate reporting might actually be, <laughs> be that might be truthful. Um, they say the president said today, da, 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 da. He said, if I had wings, I could fly and I could beat the virus. Da, da, da. It's like, <laughs> what you're saying is he's fucking nuts. But, um, but I, I think it's, I, 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 it's very, I guess my big point, it's very easy to say media this, media that. And it's really a lot more complicated, which means solutions and trying to figure out what to do about it and how to be responsible in your criticisms is really tough as well. You know, Barry Weiss has, you know, has, has her take on what happened inside the New York Times. Now she has said, you know, and she threatened, you know, basically threatened a lawsuit that there are things that were said about her internally that did seem, if true, wrong. And that would add, lead to a you know, hostile workplace environment, which a lot of people on the right of cancel culture, anti-cancel culture people don't like to admit that those, those sort of things exist. But so I'm kind of waiting, well, okay, 
where where is your receipts? If this is, you know, if this was, if you were attacked in the way that you suggest you were attacked, then let's have it out. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of lawsuits, but if it gets that way, it gets that way. Um, but it's just, you know, media is part of the larger culture. You know, you know, they're, they're, I look at what Trump is doing to the larger culture. I think that's really pretty easy. That's easier to put your finger on and express, you know, what's happening in terms of Black Lives Matter is a much more amorphous uh, impact that, that you can't point to one person or one act or one, you know, or one set of actions and say, this is what's happening and this is wrong or right. It's a cultural turning of the tide or weather change or weather pattern change. And um, I think a lot of it is good, but, but not, I wouldn't agree with everything that happens there. Um, I, I don't think it's conspiracy. I think it's how you described it. And that's what I'm condemning. Exactly how you described it. Well, it's exactly that. It's not, nothing personal. We're just going to fucking try to destroy your life for a fucking week. Because that's just what we do. But it's not, <laughs> when you say we, that's, the we isn't everybody. I know a lot of reporters, and that's not what they aim to do. Now, the ones that affect you, you, I, I, you feel it that way. But I don't you, remember the guy's name, but he did that to me specifically. And he specifically went and got people that have never met me to put about how I've, I've which I've never done. He's harassed women. No, I haven't. Some, he found some moron from online, some like internet feminist who I've never met. So, so, and by the way, this is, it's like talking to a cop without a lawyer. That's like talking to a reporter without a PR person. They're, it's basically like the cops. They're the thin blue check mark between chaos. That's how they, they act. And they're out of control. They're absolutely out of control. And I, I think it's because of that, you know, what is it? Like six companies control all the fucking media organizations. Not to mention all the, like the, yeah, I mean, Kurt, if, if corporate if, if corporations wouldn't buckle, a lot of this would would correct itself. I mean, Twitter, sure. Twitter has such an asymmetric uh, impact. Like take a guy like Louis. Louis could still probably sell out three nights at the garden. Yeah. When I was a kid, that was the definition of a megastar. If you could sell right. out the garden. That, so Louis is actually, by a previous definition, still a megastar. But on Twitter, he's canceled, and therefore corporations won't touch him. Well, also show business. So somehow he's perceived as no longer being a star, or famous. You know, in other words, the 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 actual substantive definition of how many tickets you can sell is is supplanted by this amorphous thing. It could be ten thousand people in the country are upset about that's Louis, right. right? Oh, no, everything. Everything. Hey, no, why don't yeah. no, why don't you rent out the garden then? I, I I would except uh, they'll come at me. I, I I I took enough abuse. I had I had threats against my my safety because of Louis, just because he, I let him appear there. You know that, right? We had death threats. We had threats of. Uh, no one is one of the few people. You are the few people that I've ever seen not knuckle under to that horse shit. And I remember when they tried to do it, Artie Lang, when they were like, "We will bring protest." And like, this thing of it's not a thing of like. Because there's already a checks and balances for comedians. Like, if I'm not doing my job, then the crowd won't like it. And I'll, <laughs> but now, some some mentally deranged person can decide. I, it's the same as the Christians used to fucking do. Like, I don't think it's good for you to anyone should be listening to that. So it's not like it's not even like abusive Yelp because at Yelp you usually have to eat at the fucking restaurant before you put the. It's people that aren't even involved who want to have. That's everything's about power to them. So they want the power to tell you who you can book at your club and who I can watch at your club. I'll, I'll tell you this, Kurt. I, I thought about this recently. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but that, and I don't know if David even is aware of how much shit we were taking, what we were going through, but 
that moment that we went that I went through with Louie and and I owe my wife a lot about this too because I told this story before when I asked her I said well, sweetheart what if what if you know this changes everything what if we uh, have to lose our standard of living my wife's initial instant instantaneous response was I've had less before so like yeah, right. that, that which was an amazing thing for my wife to say but anyway that if I had not stood up in that way, I think I would have gone into a tailspin of depression for the rest of my life. I would have yeah. felt totally emasculated. I would have not been able to utter any of my political opinions anymore because I would have shown myself to be a total hypocrite. And, um, and, and instead, I feel maybe the only thing in my life, like I really feel good about it. Like I fucking stood up to it. You should I feel good about it. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was up against. I didn't know if I was going to lose everything. Also, and I did the right thing. And, and that's, you know, and, I, and I'm happy that, and, and I'll just go on. And this is why, like, David and I don't agree on day to day politics anyway. We probably agree on some principles. And Mother Jones, you know, was looking for a place. And I wanted them at the commie. So I don't care who, what opinions David puts on the stage at the comedy cellar in his debates. I, I couldn't care less. Do it, you know, like, I, because I, I know he's well intentioned and, and I'm happy to embrace that kind of robust debate. And I think that I am right in this mentality. I think this is unquestionably the social norm that the country should have. And I think that that we just need the courage to, to say if, that. If we don't have that norm, see, here's why I think that's very vital. If we don't have that, the next Trump is going to be, you're going to find, you're going to get a Trump who's like good at, good at, good <laughs> uh, at yeah. And that's going to be so much worse. It's going to be so much worse. The, the amount of anger, like, as a liberal, just the amount of anger I have about this horse shit is a lot. But it's not enough for me to, like, go vote for Trump. But it's, a, it's enough for a lot of people to do all kinds of crazy shit. And, it, and, it, and it's really got to go. It's got to go. Like, woke has to go. There's not any, like, well, I think it's overall pretty good. All that shit's got to go. And the problem is this cult has planted its flag. They don't really care about money so much. They care about getting into social institutions and planting their flag more than anything. And anything that, that doesn't have that flag, and then, and then you get in a thing where it's like a mafia that you got to pay, like, a consultant to come and teach you how to, you know. Like, Robin D'Angelo should not be rich. That, that's like, <laughs> well, come on. That's a measure of a fucking did fucked you read up the book? society. Did you read, did that's you read repulsive. White, David, you read White Fragility? No, I haven't read it. It's, it's pretty interesting. Repulsive. Yeah. It's repulsive. But she's a racist. I give it to her. Well, she's you honest. Know, I could take it You know, <laughs> her words. The, the, the challenge here is how to have an open and free society where we can exchange views you know, with some degree of, of respect and have positive, uh, you know, national discourses. And at the same time, I think recognize and address um, long historical, uh, historical uh, patterns of oppression and, and, and racism and misogyny. And I think, you know, the two sometimes actually do come into conflict. They really, really do. And I know from talking to you, people in these communities who I work with or I you know, socialize with that, you know, their views are informed by sometimes different aims and different values and what they think are important. And the idea of feeling, you know, when you're, when you're white, you know, it's, it's, it's a cliche. When you're white, you don't worry about walking down the street. You don't worry about being in a, in a mostly white environment in a workplace. You, 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 you take being safe really for granted. You really, really do. 
Oh, you're a different kind um, of white than I am. The only time I've ever felt unsafe is when I've made a decision to put myself in an unsafe situation. I mean, otherwise, I don't really think about it. You know, when, when Dave just said, um, we want to <laughs> Where did you grow up? I, <laughs> oh, but, but this is the thing. thing. Well, hold, hold I grew on, up in Ardsley. <laughs> hold on. When Dave just said, I want to live in a world uh, where we can exchange uh, views, I heard him say exchange Jews. I was like, that's a good world. <laughs> But, I'll give you two. I'll give you two Hasidim for three Sephardic. Okay. <laughs> you can exchange Listen, Jews. I was like, that's awesome. You, you you can't tell somebody white who didn't who's not privileged that all that shit about white. I mean, it's just the most not unproductive. It's almost. I mean, that's almost like a fucking plot to me. Is is the idea that <laughs> you're gonna because because really there should be like a populist unity, which there there could be other than a seemingly deliberate divisive media thing and and. But just the idea of white privilege, you're not going to say it to people who aren't privileged and they're going to go, oh, yeah, well, I guess I am white, though. Not enough people have what they need to make all the white people go along with that. Like, so this like, is David, this is the thing. I, I agree with you um, um, about all the things that, that you delineated about um, what black people go through. I'm, I'm not just saying that. Um, so do I. Um, I know you do. I know Kurt does, too. As opposed to most, you know, we, we Kurt and I, we live a life which is not. Um, you know, we, whatever we have, we, we um, have spent our lives in very diverse environments. So we don't have a, a, a dumb, like right wing view of this stuff, but I would say this, you need to be able to have those, a white person who is guilty of being born white and being naive and not having had those experiences needs to be able to have these conversations uh, without somebody playing gotcha with him and and using that to hurt him because then he'll just shut up and nod his head so like if i was going to debate robin d'angelo on her book i would i would all i would come out the loser no matter what because i would say something which ran afoul of political correctness either i could be right about it i could be wrong about it and she's she's impregnable like i can't hurt her She's, she's the argument is designed so that you can't debate. She's shouting this stuff out. She's surrounded by the minefield. And the minefield, I, I use that analogy because you don't know where the mines are. You know, you, and, and you're going to step on one of them and they're going to say, aha, you said this about, you know, or you you use that trope, whatever it is. And that becomes that. And then you don't say, why should I even bother? And the truth is, logically, if it's, it's absolutely true that, that white people don't understand what it's like to be black. That has to be the case. But you know what else is true? Black people probably don't understand exactly what, how white people think. In other words, oh, no, no, what, no, no, mind. no, but no, this, this, mind there. in other words, we, a white person who will see some, some black language or behavior and, and, and interpret it as best he can. But there, but that, but that has to go both ways. We know we cannot. We can approximate. We can try to guess what it's like to be in another person's shoes. I, know, I don't but think it's that hard. I think well, it's let's take black people away. Let's take black people out of it. It's I don't. Easy. I'm sympathetic to the Has Hasids. I'm sympathetic. I don't really know what it's like to be Hasidic, and they don't really know what it's like not to be Hasidic. And it's not. It's okay. not an equivalent situation, though. You know. Yes. It has in, to in be. The abstract, it has to be. In the abstract, no one knows what it's like to be anybody else. You don't even know what it's like to be your wife. And, she, and thankfully, she doesn't know what it's like to be you. Right. So, um, I, all I'm saying, so, I should be, so if I express if I express something white, I'm just not me or just hypothetically, and it turns out to be quite off base, quite wrong, uh, I should, 
I shouldn't get punished for the thought crime, which then I said it out loud. I should, I should be corrected. I should be spoken to. I should, it, it shouldn't be the end of me to have uttered what I was thinking as a product of where I grew up and, and what I, you know, what yeah, I've known sure. my whole life. This is not a healthy way to get better as a okay. society. I, you know, I agree that we should have, we should aim for productive conversations yeah. that are less punitive and more towards joint understanding, just as a general rule. That's right. That's okay. awesome. I do believe though, it's not an equivalent situation uh, in terms of like black people don't understand white people and white people don't understand black people. Black people are in a much, you know, as a group, we're talking generalities here, you know, as a group, and Latinos, and you can add others, and indigenous people, um, you know, they're in a much different position than white people as a group. And so it's not, you know, about you don't understand me either. You know, that is very Karenish, but it's, it's, you know, it's like it's more important to to hear people who have been literally fucked over the way. We have it as groups. I didn't. Then I didn't. Why, why I don't the, mean it's yeah. equivalent in terms of damage or, or obviously it's way but, more but important. It makes it a different. It makes it a different conversation. Yeah. And the way I've heard it say is, you know, you know, I've I've heard I've heard black people and other people say this. It's time for white people to listen more. It's it, that that generality shit is is a problem to me. Is that group? Uh, why I'm not in a group. I'm a fucking special, unique snowflake, and some white person's experience doesn't mean shit about my experience. I'm a a, a, a me before I'm white, which is what everybody everybody should get treated that way. But we're not allowed to now. That's that's supposedly the height of racism to well, not is, generalize you by group. Well, the question is whether Kurt, you believe there's systemic racism or not. Well, what does it mean? Maybe I do. What it means. Is that there are there are, there are internal, uh, implicit and ex explicit biases in society towards certain groups, and if you I, I, I don't believe in implicit bias. There's biases. That's like a lie rich people have, because they can't just say that they're racist. Okay. Well, what, what, if you want to call implicit bias bias, that's that's fine by me. I don't I don't I don't care. What I'm saying, if you, if you accept the premise that there's systemic racism. Then yes, you are an individual, and maybe you'd be exactly who you are in the same way if your skin was a different color or you came with different eth ethnicity or nationality. Uh, but if you're looking at it, you know, on a culture national perspective, then you know you recognize there are groups that have been fucking screwed, and that members of those groups, while individual, still have you know are are, are, are burdened by this, by, by racism or whatever you want to call it, by having been part of a group that has been historically screwed over and often, you know, for particular reasons. You know, sure. black people were not fucked over just for the hell of it. You know, the, the South, you know. That's unquestionable that there's been that's groups that's fucked over, uh, without a doubt. What, right? The part that I'm not getting to is where, you know, I got to pretend that Jaden Smith is more oppressed than me. That, that's how it ends up shaking out is, is so I'll watch people such as uh, to mention a name because I can't stand her. Joyelle, I heard her talk to Noam. I, I heard her talk to you how she, she didn't feel comfortable with white male comics. That's the only people she's ever felt comfortable with. I watched her talk to you about that. I, she, I, her mom's a doctor. So what happens is a bunch of mediocre privileged people take this group mentality and then they pretend that they're oppressed when they're not. Well, uh, I'm not here. I'm, I'm not here to speak for people without experience. 
because it's not my experience. You know, I'm just, you know, I, I, I just think that this conversation, you know, this, this conversation large is, is complicated and that does have sometimes competing values between absolute free speech and people wanting to be heard and getting to a point where actually we're having the best productive conversations. And I know from talking with kids and younger people that, you know, they, that they've run out of patience with certain aspects of the conversation. And I think- What a coincidence. Well, can, can I just get in? Can I go a second? Let me just finish. When you run out of patience, you know, it doesn't always put you in the best position to you know, come up with common ground. And so I, but I understand where they're coming from. So I just, just to be very clear, because I don't want to get myself in trouble. I, I just want to reiterate again. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, equating the importance of it. I just want to say, I was in, essentially making an appeal to a humility that all people should have before they jump to a conclusion about what they think is in the other person's mind when their experience is quite different than the other person. That, that, yeah, that's the, yeah. I mean, the best arguments are the arguments that have an element of good faith to them. That's right. And those, I, those, those, are, those are always the best. Now, sometimes it's hard to do. You can't have an argument with Richard Spencer, a Nazi, and say, what, where's his good faith coming? You know, I don't think you can have a, I would argue you can't have a good faith argument with Donald Trump or a lot of people who support him. When, when I believe he's engaged in racism for, you know, to divide the country purposefully. No, but, but for instance, but for instance, the, the, the mentality of a white working class guy who lost his job um, is and 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 has severe uh, anti-immigrant animus is probably should not be simplistically just chalked off to a racist and move on to the next subject. What I'm saying, like, you know, take a little time to understand. Yeah, he's white and he is saying something which which sounds racist. But, you know, there's 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 a deepness to that well, just like there's a deepness to the to the well of, of the, the black person you might be trying to understand. And and I guess and and I don't know if we make the attempt in both ways. That's the systemic racism. I think obviously there's I mean, Bloomberg bragged that he was pulling over young black kids on marijuana charges, really just to see if they could have guns or something. And you so, yeah, this, so that so that's systemic racism. I think the more the, the question where I differ is that whether or not the disparity in results that we're seeing every day is because of systemic racism. I say that with an open mind, but I the things that make me wonder are, for instance, that Nigerians do very, very well, presumably armed with a an immigrant mentality, but they are perceived as black and they take and they face the same systemic racism that people of all that, that black Americans do. But yet they do, I think, better than than white people in certain cases. And and also the systemic racism that my father and his generation of very, very poor Jews uh, uh, suffered, which was at least as significant as what we couldn't get jobs, couldn't join clubs, couldn't Dershowitz talk about how he was first in his class and got rejected from every law firm he applied to, you know. So even is, 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 is the correlation of systemic racism uh, uh, to what extent? Is that responsible for what we're seeing every day? And let me say one other thing now, that I will shut up. And they were not, not. They were not lynched. I mean, there's still some differences here. I right, mean, but 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 also, but today's no historic racism is different than systemic racism. You know, but today one of the things that I, if I fantasize about like running for mayor or as a as an independent or a Republican or as a Democrat, I would I I keep thinking I would say to black families, they think you can't do it. Your kids are not doing getting into the gifted high school. So what do they want to do? 
They want to end gifted high schools. Your kids are not doing well on these tests. They want to get rid of the tests. They think you can't do it. You, that's not, that, that is despicable. You should be insisting that they have a Manhattan Project to get your kids to be able to get into uh, these gifted high schools. The day that they're eliminating these standards, what does that tell you other than they think you can't do it? And as I'm saying it, I'm, I'm actually feeling the emotion of it because I know black people, they can do it. And the thing that offends me more than anything about liberalism's attitude towards race is because pervading it all is this, this notion that I see every day is that they can't do it. Let's just get rid of these standards. Hard work, uh, individuals, those are white concepts. Every, every concept that you would think would be important, they're redefining out of existence. What does that say other than even, even something like voter IDs, which I'm not defending the voter ID laws. But one thing I used to hedge on was they think black people can't get a picture ID. Like I have a bar, everybody, every black person I know has a picture ID. In the end, in some way, this whole thing about voter suppression is predicated on a kind of assumption that, you know, black people can't be expected to get an ID like white people. There's something about that, which really I find offensive and it's pervasive through everything. So that's, so that's a systematic racism. I don't know what that is, but I just wanted to get it off my chest because it really bothers me, and I really think I'm right about it. I, if I were mayor, I would throw everything at trying to get these kids to do better at, at, these, at these tests to get into these gifted high schools. Everything. I would never get rid of the tests. Well, um, I, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not sure I'll support your mayoral bid, but I would support, you know, tremendous amount of money being spent to make sure that, you know, kids starting, head started on up in all parts of the city from all backgrounds, you know, have, you have the resources they need. Absolutely. Um, and it also has to go with making sure people have jobs. So when they go home, they are able to study and have access to broadband and everything else. Uh, I mean, when I lived in, is, years is ago on, on 12th street, I lived, you know, between first and a, when it was not, you know, when it was a little more dangerous than it is today, there were families, you know, I lived in an apartment with another, with a friend that had two families living apartments the same size and the kids were trying to study in the stairwell under the stairwell I mean so if you want to really you know even things up I'm all I'm all for that mayor gnome and mm -hmm. um you know I, I don't you know I, I wouldn't I, I have to go do some other work but yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to get into a big fight about you know about your critique of, of, of liberals I, I don't I don't think it's true but that's we can come back and debate My critique it. of what I don't think it's true. What was um, not true? I, I missed the first your part. overall critique of liberals here and their attitudes towards um, the black community. Well, it's a far, it's a far left. It's the far. I don't, I don't know that you have that. Know, Biden, Biden wouldn't say that. Biden would probably agree with me. I Biden think what Noam is trying to say is that white people are the real victims. Is that correct? Noam? <laughs> no, no. I think, I think Biden would agree. Listen, I think and, a and, lot and, of and, black and, people and, would agree with me. As, as one of the, the, the three white guys on, you know, on the panel here, uh, I, you know, I, I don't pretend to speak uh, for, 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 for people who, who are not part of this conversation that we're, ta that we're talking about. But, never, but, never but you've seen the polls that show that liberal whites are actually more liberal on race stuff than, than the average black person is. You've seen that data, right? I mean, it's pretty striking. I was going to mention, nobody black has ever babbled woke shit at me. I've only seen that on like talking heads. I mean, I, I, you know, I did drugs in New York for 20 years, so that's like the greatest diversity training of all, by the way. 
I, I've never heard anyone black tell me I, I'm a cis male or I, like th that's all like white horseshit. All of it. <laughs> it all comes from like upper class white nonsense. We got to wrap it up. I, 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 well, I, I would my experience. Let me just put it politely. My experience, Kurt, is different than that. OK, so, I want to say, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to have met David, even though we grew up in the same town. We didn't know each other. And um uh, what town again, did you say? I, you said Ardsley, Ardsley, New York. What is, where is that? It's in right above Yonkers. I have oh. to say, I have to say though, I I left in third grade and I moved to White Plains, oh. <laughs> far superior city. <laughs> but uh, I but I I really do like I I I, really, I was afraid to come on the podcast because I like David so much. I said I don't want to get in any fights with him. It's, you know, and I'm feeling very dark lately about a lot of things. So I you know I can get a little, I don't know. I don't want to come out dark. But I, I and um. I just, I'm really like happy to have met advice. you at, at this point. I'm happy to be involved with the, the stuff that you're doing. I think that we do agree on um, and enjoy, as you put the elbow, uh, what did you, how did you put it? I don't, I can't uh, remember what I said. elbows of debate. Yeah. And I think that um, we, we go both probably do basically agree that that is, that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And uh, that's why I'm very proud to have you guys, Mother Jones doing whatever it does at the Comedy Cellar. I hope it continues. Yeah, I'm really looking forward. I mean, for people who don't know, we were starting on a podcast with uh, with the Comedy Cellar co-producing, and you know, it was one of the things that the pandemic intervened with. And but we had done great interviews with Debbie Harry and John Leguizamo and Samantha B. We did it at the Cellar, and we put we you know, we ended up putting them out on the Mother Jones podcast, which is a separate entity. Uh, we were going to do a bunch and then do them all together as a new podcast. And I just, I loved hanging out at the cellar. I loved doing these these, these interviews there. Uh, they got a great audience response. If people haven't heard them yet, they can find the Mother Jones podcast. Just, you know, use this thing called Google, you'll get it. But it was really great working with you guys. And I, I love hanging out at the cellar in the evenings and, you know, feeling part of, part of the gang. So thanks for having us. And hopefully, you know, when life gets back to, you know, something less abnormal than it is at the moment, uh, we can, you know, proceed with with some of that and 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 Kurt you and I disagree on some things but um you know we really like meeting you here so uh nice to meet you too I'm I got I started a new business called uh toilet paper and ammo so I'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> I sell bullets and toilet paper now <laughs> Kurt you want to share your information before we go yeah can't get raise my podcast on gas digital and uh the new one I guess the new one's out now on iTunes, but it comes out on Gas Digital first. And then uh, I do sketches with uh, Kyle Dunnigan, which you can see on Instagram, Kyle Dunnigan one. And then uh, his Twitter has been hacked by some somebody Arabic, not pointing figures. I'll make some them. calls. And, and let me just defend, I wanted to just def to defend Kurt as we sign off. His, his He was really horribly, traumatically impacted by the woke mob changing the trajectory of his life hopefully not forever but certainly he's going to have a he had a lost uh five to ten years from it and um it's hard you know and you, everything is theory but for him it's not it's real life for him you know so you can tell him all day long about how oh i don't think it's really or it's not that bad and say well no he lived it you know and, I, you and, know and it was real i don't so really care that happened to me I don't really care that happened to me. It's it's the thing you mentioned, and this is a big thing, is the amount of people you have panicked asking you to edit a podcast, them out, things they said out of a podcast. 
That all the people I know that, ooh, it's not a problem. They all just live like that. They all just go, oh, could I say that on the pod? And they, and they said nothing. They said nothing offensive. And they all think that's fine. That, that's mean, not Kurt, progressive. Kurt, Kurt was the standout writer on the Amy Schumer show. The Amy Schumer show was the standout show of, of that time. He would naturally be writing or head writer on SNL now, or whatever it is. They won't touch him because of some mis- misinterpreted Facebook posts, you know, where he was being well, people that will, will actively make sure that I can't. Uh, um, it's real. It's real. And, and David, David, would you like to share your information if somebody want to follow you or? Um... Oh, yeah. Well, they can see my journalism work at motherjones.com. They can see my stand up if they come to my living room. <laughs> you know, they can follow me. Um, at, at Twitter at David Corn DC. That's Corn with a C. Um, some people say that's where I do my best work, which is really depressing. You could have been a stand-up <laughs> comic. I mean, my earliest memories of you was how funny you were. I, I, I used to do. O'Re- I first saw you on O'Reilly, and you were very, very funny. Anyway, um, okay. Yeah, well, you, you know, Bill is just a natural for for getting laughs out of people. Is he a nice guy? No. Actually, I have to I have to run, but this is too good to, uh, uh, to, not, to not to do. And so, I mean, I, I, I did, you know, I did. A sh- I mean, I, I used to do stuff at Fox before, I, you know, long before the Trump years when they were just far right. Not, I think, it's, you know, in a, in cultist far right. And um, I did a show a bunch of times and, you know, he was always, you know, courteous. Um, but he was kind of a miserable person all the time. And when I would see him in the studio or ran into him at the airport a few times, and I, I'm a, you know, I'm a friendly guy. I come up and say hi. He was always growling, sitting by himself, you know, always yelling at the people around him. You know, the famous video of him yelling, fuck, fuck at somebody off camera. We'll do it live. <laughs> it turns into Casey Kasem off the- <laughs> And so and, and I always felt like that was like the best revenge in a way. Here's a guy who I disagree with. I think he helped start a war that killed hundreds of thousands of people. And, um, and he, but he made millions of dollars, yet he was always miserable. He was all, he always seemed to be suffering. David, um, you should, uh, you should talk to him about vibrators. He likes, he likes, right <laughs> falafel. He liked the falafel. Have a nice dildo conversation with him. He, he turns yeah. right around. All right. So, anyway. Ciao. Bye everybody. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you all right, very thanks, much. Guys. And the olive tree is open for dinner now. Dinner. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, David. It was great to have you. And Kurt, same here. All right, brother. I'll all right, Dave. Nice to meet you. We have a, a special for the Comedy Cellar election night. We'd love for both of you can jump in anytime. Uh, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I'm going to be busy, but I'll let you know. We're going to have it all day. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, man. Bye. Take care, Bye. guys.